this is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to sessions from the media rumble 2018 uh welcome everyone thanks uh, very much for being here um just a quick disclaimer uh, i'm not being rude in looking at my phone i actually have my notes and my questions here so please don't think i'm looking at my phone during the session uh i'm shivarur uh there's um frankly uh probably no better time to perhaps put a subject like this on the table than now uh patriotism versus journalism so when the people at media rumble invited me to moderate this session i thought fantastic patriotism versus journalism because that's uh, a question that's uh, very timely right now as well uh two two highly current news stories and we're all journalists here that uh signify this conflict uh in many ways uh there's the the rafal deal which is in all the headlines then you've got the exploding story from assam on the national register of citizenship uh both of those stories come to mind but if you actually look at most of our headlines today uh you are going to see this uh very familiar collision between journalism and patriotism where patriotism and nationalism and the idea of uh, you know the country's interest above you know telling the truth in journalism uh, is frequently a conversation you've got journalists who are being called prestitutes you've got journalists who are being called anti-national uh, for asking hard questions and uh, telling stories that may be inconvenient to certain quarters so all of that has uh, created uh, quite quite an atmosphere uh in the country so i want to very quickly uh, uh this this session is definitely not about me and i'm uh very very keen to hear the experiences of all of the people i have here on the panel uh may i personally say that all of these people are, have been you know seniors to me as a young journalist and inspirations in their own right uh so we've got suhasini heather she's a diplomatic editor uh, of the hindu uh, one of the most prominent uh, indian voices on foreign policy uh Nitin Gokhale is a founder editor of uh, bharatshakti.in which is a well-known uh, military and strategic affairs website and a journalist of many years he's uh, reported from many parts of the country won many awards Maria Ressa is um, uh, it's an incredible privilege to have her here she's from the Philippines uh, she's the founder CEO and executive editor of Rappler which is one of the most uh, innovative brave and fearless uh, digital platforms uh, speaking to the powers in the philippines uh, and is also um, currently finds itself in a collision with the powers that be in the philippines uh, that actually threatens its very existence uh, so she's uh, actually fighting the fight that is the subject of this uh, of this session every single day ajay shukla needs no introduction he spent many years in the indian army uh spent many years as a television journalist and is now one of uh, india's most authoritative and respected voices on strategic affairs uh the military and indian defense so i'm going to jump straight into my first question which is and i'm going to start with you uh, sohasini on whether and i'm going to try and keep this session as connected to your personal experiences as possible so not vague gyan and ideas from any of us but your personal experiences as journalists has there been a recent or can you tell us about a recent instance when you've seen a collision between the idea of patriotism national interest and the story that you're reporting or telling not just in your own mind not just in your own mind but after you've told the story after the story has come out have you been under attack 
for those stories or your views? Um, absolutely, and I think uh, most journalists today will have uh, uh, you know, one story or the other about it. Firstly, I don't think it should be patri uh, patriotism versus journalism. Uh, I think uh, uh, it's it's probably uh, patriotism versus nationalism in a in a certain sense. I think Macron said that first that it's time to save the nation um, from the nationalists. You know, save us patriots from the nationalists. Um, the truth is, uh, there is a line, and most people will tell you, and I know this is not a popular thing to say, but for journalists, the story does come first. It's not about, uh, you know, whether I'm doing this in, in the interest of a particular party or nation or uh, any kind of ideology. You're doing it because it's a story that deserves to be told and you want to be true to that story. That is your first instinct. Um, so since you want this to be personal, uh, I can tell you a story from 2016. Um, there was a, a plan, you know, this is a government that has taken very seriously its duties to Indians living outside of India. Um, and uh, in particular, Indians who need to be evacuated, which is an important thing when, when things go bad. So things did go bad in South Sudan in 2016, as most of you would know. And uh, Indian uh, workers in Juba started to write on Twitter to our foreign minister to say, uh, please help us, please evacuate us, please get us out of here. The foreign minister, who's been extremely active in this matter, uh, went straight away and said, yes, we will pull uh, uh, these people out. And they did a quick count, and it was about 1,600 Indians that needed to be evacuated from there. Now, after the last evacuation, the government had actually itself put into place a few rules, right? So the, view, uh, the rules were that evacuations of this kind, humanitarian evacuations, in a place of war or anything else, would be held if there were no commercial flights. Two, if possible, the government could facilitate, you know, uh, tickets, but not a chartered plane. And three, that when um, there was a, a, you know, a possibility of a charter, it would be taken over military options, right? Um, but of course, none of these make for the best pictures. So uh, we had, you know, two brand new, I think they C-130s all revved up, ready to go in and take them out. Um, the day before these planes actually took off, uh, there was a ceasefire, a truce in Juba between the rebels and the government. So commercial flights started to run. The government decided to press on anyway, now that you know the planes were revved up and all the rest of that, and go to collect the Indians there. Between the time the ceasefire happened, then 24 hours later, the planes took off. 12 hours after that, the planes landed. Actually, the numbers of Indians who wanted to come back was close to one-fifth of this. So they then collected what was left. These flights came back empty. Uh, most of the Indians who uh, returned from Juba actually got off at Addis Ababa and said, we'll go right back in as soon as you know, things are completely safe. Long story short, we wrote the story. And we wrote the story that there were questions being asked about what the government was doing. I was not prepared for the backlash. And um, I, I really did not expect that for three days I would not be able to open my Twitter account without you know, an outpouring of anger. Uh, the anger was fueled by the fact that the government decided to take very badly to the story that was written, questioning whether this was the right thing to do. Because as journalists, it's not just about how wonderful it is to take a plane and go collect Indians from where they might be killed, and you know the flag flying, and, and everyone in uniforms looking brilliant. It is also about, was an operation like this, A, jeopardizing 
the, the security of the country. Was uh, an operation like this B going at the cost of somebody else who could benefit from a similar operation? Anyway, they went on like that and, and uh, the backlash continued, I think, for weeks after that. Uh, we had the foreign minister actually tweeting to say, no, every Indian life is precious, as if that was the counterpoint to what we were asking. And to me, that really uh, symbolized where the difference comes in. Should we not anymore ask questions as journalists, as long as the government or the military or any agency of the state decides this is in national interest? And, um, and I can go into dreams about the sort of backlash we face, but I think most of our audience today really knows what it's like to be on the wrong end of... Uh, of, of I actually remember that, uh, that, that incident really, really well. And you're right when uh, you say that it went on for weeks together. And I think most people on social media even still remember, uh, you know, that story and it uh, becomes a thing. Uh, you raised the important issue of, you know, the whataboutery issue and even the minister I said, you know, but what about every life that's so important? And I'm going to come to that as well in a, in a moment. Uh, Maria, in your experience, this, this collision between patriotism and the journalism that you do, we'd love to hear an example. And, and there must be so many with Rappler because this is something that you fight every single day. But share with us one experience that you have. Um, well, well, first, I'm curious. To have something last for weeks on social media, it normally... Our attention span is, you know, it's like less than a goldfish. No, so no, is it is it concerted? Was it a concerted effort? I'm sure was it, it was. Fueled? I mean, there were pictures it, of me on right? board a former prime minister's official plane. Pictures of you in Pakistan. Right. Pictures of me in Pakistan. Pictures of me. It was. I mean, it was very personally targeted. But actually, the problem was the story itself. Okay. So. so so if it's concentrated, vicious, it is personal. I guess I wonder whether it was an information operations that, that was targeted. I'm sorry to pull it there, right? Because that, I feel like... That's a fair like, point, and I have a question about and, that as and well. And that's truly, I think, the part that puts it and this whole thing of patriotism. I think just pulling out of that, look, um, I think journalists are patriots. That is part of the reason. We are nationalists. That is the reason why we do what we do. But... I think exceedingly, and it, this would be in the last few years, what technology has enabled is the ability of anyone in power or anyone who has the ability to manipulate to actually astroturf um, and to be able to uh, take the dialogue, simplify it, hijack it, and weaponize it. And so for me, I, I think it's a, it's a battle for truth, right? That's what we're after. Uh, fanaticism, um, while it is there, it doesn't scale. And for things to scale, it is energy needs to be put into it, right? Everything goes to a state of maximum entropy unless you're infusing energy into it. So, uh, well, you can tell I get very... It, it is... I think this is a problem of democracy globally. And it's not just our countries, but you know, um, I think I said this uh, as of November 2017, in 30 of 65 countries around the world, freedomhouse.org said that uh, cheap armies on social media has rolled back democracy. It's very personal to me because for us, exposing this kind of information warfare was actually what got us targeted. And, um, and these things of saying, you're not a patriot, you're you know, why do you have to question? Well, of course you have to question. That is what democracy is. You know, in order, no one ever has 
even if you're the president or the head of any organization, you are never 150% right. So that's what we're supposed to do. Um, the problem now is that we have folks in power and technology to be able to railroad and shape the conversation in a way that minimizes questions and dissent. And the problem with that is growing, well, for one, you'll probably make wrong decisions and there will probably be abuse of power and impunity because if you don't have these checks and balances, uh, then you have a problem. And I'll shut up at that. I guess part of it is I really believe to have a fully functioning democracy, there has to be one side, there has to be many, many sides, and we have to be willing to listen. If you're astroturfing something down someone's mouth and you already have power, we don't stand a chance. Uh, just a small bit of an update on Maria and Rappler is, um, uh, you heard what she said just now, on the 26th of July, uh, and this is something that most of us wouldn't have even heard of, but uh, there has been, since you mentioned abuse of power, there has been a systemic effort to uh, crack down on the digital site that she runs and to shut it down on various grounds and she just won her case in the Court of Appeals in Philippines. So, a big victory for Rapper. Not completely won, don't tell our government that. They like <laughs> thinking they won. So, I would say 25% government, 75% Rapper. Thank you, Court of Appeals. <laughs> Ajay, you're on, you're very prominently on TV, you're very prominently on social media, you've got uh, strong views. I, I have personally seen you being called anti-national all the time for the things you say, the things you write, whether it's about the Rafale deal, whether it's about the surgical strikes. How do you handle it? Give us an example of how you do. Well, I think uh, all of us who are uh, writing defense stories are at this point in time, uh, and this has been especially so over the past decade, increasing over the past five years, you run afoul of a national sentiment that is conditioning itself to believe that the military is a holy cow and that any questions that are asked or any fingers that are pointed or any hard sort of issues raised uh, is in some way anti-national. So all of us who are in the defense space and I would say foreign policy as well uh, are running afoul of this. Now the problem with this, with succumbing to this kind of uh, emotion or feeling is that you're allowing somebody else to dictate what nationalism is. And I think we are all masters of our own nationalism. Uh, I will not allow anybody else to dictate what nationalism is to me. Uh, not because of anything I've done, because for the simple reason that all of us had the right to choose our own path, to follow our own instincts. Uh, and therefore, uh, I, like many other journalists, continue to do that and to brave the the, the sort of uh, the criticism that comes in cloaked as nationalism but actually is the ideology of a particular sort of set of viewpoints. That is not nationalism. In my opinion, nationalism is looking after the interests of your country and the interests of your country in many cases involves criticism. Certainly in a liberal democracy, a journalist is, as Varya just pointed out, you're, you're in some way contrary to the establishment. It doesn't matter who the establishment is. If it's a Congress government, I'm sort of questioning the Congress government. If it's a BJP government, I'm questioning the BJP government. Uh, as a journalist, I should and I must be proud to be in a sort of tacit opposition to the government. 
So uh, I think that criticism is, it's always going to come. And in history, in Indian history, we have a long tradition of painting inconvenient journalists and inconvenient viewpoints as anti-national. When Jayaprakash Narayan approached Indira Gandhi and launched his Andolan, the first thing she, she did was to paint him as anti-national. When he raised the students' protests, all the students became anti-national. Uh, it's, it's the same in, in uh, most uh, sort of uh, situations, most governments. But I think as journalists, we should just plow on and uh, give back as good as you get. And I don't think there's any need for journalists to be apologetic or to say that I will not combat these viewpoints. I personal, my personal choice is to go out there and fight on the front lines. Nitin? Well, uh, I think uh, that and, way... And I, and I know that you also have a lot of collisions on social media. Yes. Where, you know, you're constantly well, having to explain certain views and your stories. Certainly, but this is a new phenomenon. But let me take you back to... Uh, what happened in 1999, and it's a personal example since you asked for personal examples. We were at the height of the Kargil conflict. This, in fact, in uh, July, middle of June 1999, I used to work for Outlook. Outlook had picked me up from uh, Guwahati, where I was based for 23 years in the Northeast, and had sent me to report from Kargil. I spent 45 days in all in Kargil, Dras, Batalik, all those places. In the middle of that uh, conflict, I was back in Delhi for a weekend, and my editor then, bless his soul, Vinod Mehta, my best editor in my 35 years of journalism, uh, I uh, walked up to him and I said that I heard a lot of stories from young officers and others uh, on the front line there that this war should not have happened. There were enough indications uh, about the intrusion and about uh, advance warnings that were given by people on the ground and uh, they were ignored, or that uh, officer or two, three officers were called alarmists. So should we do the story? I mean, I'll get, try and work on that story. Now, this is an editor who was fearless, who took on the establishment all the time, but this is where he taught me a lesson. He said, you wait until the war gets over. Right now, we need to support the national effort and we, did, we will not do this story at the moment. Work on it, but keep it. We will see. And I came back after the war got over, officially declared on, uh, ended, uh, officially concluded on 26th of July. When I came back to Delhi and I was uh, sort of eager to go back home to Guwahati, he said, what happened to that story? So I said, well, I have not followed it up because there's not enough information there. He said, now do it. And he gave me a week's time. And that's when I did what was one of the significant stories of uh, Kargil conflict, warnings ignored in the 2nd August issue of Outlook, where... Uh, we which was well after the war. Which was well after the war, just a week after the war. And uh, it was inconvenient for the government. And I remember uh, the highest office bearers of the government then, and it was the Vajpayee government, putting pressure on Vinod Mehta and telling him that, what are you doing? There are elections ahead, and you know this is not something that we want out. But he uh, allowed me to relentlessly pursue it, me and uh, my senior colleague that time, Ajit Pillai. We pursued that story for a year after that, until September 2000, uh, when uh, actually we came out with uh, the, the court martials that were ordered, which were unfair. And then the next chief came and uh, sort of overturned those court martials, or at least uh, didn't give punishment to the people who were involved in some kind of 
misdemeanors and that kind of thing. All that happened. So there is this thin line uh, editors choose. Uh, but uh, there, are, there were several other examples in my stay in the Northeast for 23 years between 1983 and 2006 when I only reported on the military and the militancy or the militants. And I had to really walk the thin line because I was an outsider. I was not, a, not from the Northeast. Uh, the militants put pressure on you, the army put pressure on you, the government didn't want some of the inconvenient truth to come out, but one survived, one plowed on, as Ajay said. So it is actually dangerous to it's you, dangerous depending to, on what you wrote. For me, the Northeast stint was more dangerous than the Kargil stint, or later what I covered, the Elam War 4. There was no danger to our lives in that sense. But in the Northeast, I was living there with my family, our children were growing up there, and there were instances when people called up and said, do you want to stay here, you're an outsider? you're under danger, you're under scrutiny, so be careful. So one has gone through all that. So therefore, I don't uh, see this as something that journalists bo should bother too much about. If you are uh, sincere enough, if you are uh, sure about your facts, you go ahead and do what you want. And you need a good editor, of course, to back you up. Absolutely. Which, you know, which, which perfectly brings me to my next question, because Maria raised that as well. She said, journalists are nationalists. We are journalists because we, uh, you know, uh, believe that the stories we tell are uh, are of national importance and they help the country ultimately and that's what patriotism is about. So Hasni, uh, we have seen in the recent past, and this is a question again I'm asking you from your personal experience, about the idea of nationalism in, in the way that, so l let me just say that in the way that social media understands it, is used to clamp down on stories, is used to preempt stories, is used to discredit journalists, uh, and uh, publications or channels. Is that, is that a pressure that you're uh, you know, constantly aware of? Is it like a shadow over everything you do? The reason I'm asking is because uh, all of us here function in a space that is uh, sort of has a predilection for this kind of attack because we're talking about our adversaries and we're talking about defense and strategic affairs. I think um, uh, the shadow that you mentioned is probably, uh, there, is a, there is an understanding that there will be a certain backlash to whatever you write. In fact, I think I've gotten to the point where people will first see who has written the story and then decide that it must be, Oh, it's Suhasini, therefore. It, it must, yeah. you know, uh, uh, get a backlash uh, rather than the other way around. Um, but I want to come back to issues because, you know, the more we personalize it, the more we make it about one journalist versus another, the more we actually play into the hands of the establishment. Because what the establishment wants to do is to make you irrelevant, is to say that this journalist is, is not credible and therefore any journalism that comes out of even that media house must be seen as non-credible. I'll go a step further. I'll say things um, that have changed. Um, at the time Nitin was talking about, you know, he, he represented a news magazine um, and the government's reaction to it was probably a word to your editor or uh, maybe a chat with other journalists where you are, you know, sort of ratted out um, by the government, which used to be uh, much more common. Today, you have ministers with utmost power and utmost responsibility coming on these uh, um, uh, social media websites and trashing media outlets, saying this is an example of bad journalism. Bad journalism according to whom? It's just 
critical journalism. And, and that is actually what makes journalists today much more aware, as you said, of the shadow, because it's not just, you know, the idea that you may be unpopular. Journalists are not in this game. It's to happening be, directly. To be, it, is in the, it, is, uh, it is a very, very real presence that is coming to get you. Now, there is also this old idea that, that for example, what I write on, foreign policy, is supposed to be something where a journalist is supposed to align themselves with the government, because, of course, the foreign policy of a government should be the foreign policy of the nation, which means that you can never criticize it. Even if the, if the government itself says it was in the wrong, you could never have criticized it at the time. And we've seen those examples, for example, with the ne Nepal blockade. The sort of telephone calls that we got at the time, or the kind of social media backlash we got at the time, because the Hindu decided to take a basic uh, uh, stand and say that, you know, to blockade people who have gone through an earthquake, uh, and who are neighbors landlocked at that uh, was a mistake. Um, the, the fact is that you have to stand up, and, I, and I'm naming all of these stories and I'm, uh, because I know that these are there in people's public memories, uh, and it should make a difference to us that each time someone has tried to stand up against government policy that has instead been, uh, been, uh, been pushed aside as a kind of anti-national uh, uh, sort of reportage, uh, and I have to remind people that, you know, today, for example, at the Media Rumble, I think we're all going to watch the post. And we're going to talk about how journalists there went against all odds. Let's remember the Pentagon Papers came out many years later and didn't come out at the time. If members of the U.S. press who had run those stories on weapons of mass destruction, for example, in Iraq had not. Um, uh, uh, you know, we would have been the first, actually, to criticize the U.S. press for exactly the things that today we allow our press to do. And, and when Nitin talks about, uh, you know, Cargill and the questions that have been asked, we all know that questions have been asked about Cargill, about what we did, about the ketchup kernel and all the rest of that. Do we talk about what our government did when it came uh, to the Uri attacks, when it came to the Pathan court attack and what was the response over there? Uh, I'm sorry, even Doklam. It is not yet something that we are willing to talk about because there is this idea that, that, that it, you'll very quickly walk into the realm of becoming anti-national. So a lot of this journalism that we even celebrate, uh, a lot of it does end up being in hindsight. M Maria, how, how, do you, how do you fight it? Is there a, is there a conflict for you as well? Uh, and the reason I, I, I ask that specifically is because uh, for you, you're also the CEO and you're also the executive editor. So it's not just the journalism, but it's also the survival of... Uh, uh, off, off the site, the, the digital property that you yes. run, that is on your mind. Yes. So in, your, in the execution, you wear two hats. So in the execution of those duties, is there a conflict in your mind uh, that this is something that is perhaps not in national interest and will invite a backlash in so, your own mind? I yeah, think. yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point. I think, you know, like, like the title of the last panel, I think the title of this panel is a little bit off because in the end the values of journalism don't change but it is the ability of power to be able to take more power yeah. that has pushed journalism into this strange space where we're wondering whether we're nationalistic or patriotic we shouldn't be right so I'll give you two examples I think when, when we were both were still with CNN I um, I 9-11 
was a memory for me because there was an intelligence document in the Philippines where essentially the very first pilot that was recruited by Al-Qaeda was in the Philippines in 1994. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was in the Philippines, had a Filipino girlfriend in 1994. We came out, we took more than a week to do this story from, from and the Delhi Bureau was working on different parts of this later on with us, but um, obviously the FBI the, the U.S. didn't want the story out because it did show they had warning, uh, but it had been buried. And CNN took a week longer to make sure that we were legally set, right? Why? Because it's important. This is, this is where every individual country's national interests fall aside because there are global issues. Um, that one was an interesting one, but now again, information, the way, the weaponization, actually let's start with Russian disinformation that has now evolved into, into election interfering, into uh, shifting, uh, into corralling our democracies, right? This is a global issue. So to think about it in the terms of nationalism or patriotism, I think is wrong. Um, and then to answer your question, Rappler, we're six, uh, at our sixth year, in our fifth year, we hit positive EBITDA. Um, that's huge because like even with CNN, with the network I managed in the Philippines, it took a decade to, to hit break even, right? Um, 2016, so we hit positive EBITDA. When the attacks against, when the attacks came and it always started online, when these exponential attacks came and then were mimicked by government, and then when the attacks against Rappler, I mean, even when I was at CNN, I was CIA, I was, the new thing now is that I've been called every animal you can think of, and I'm still CIA, and I'm a communist, and every single thing, all of which aren't true, but the, the difference now is that this, what the government did was to take what had been seeded on social media, it was the harbinger of the attacks, then they filed the cases, I think we have maybe six ongoing um, legal investigations and cases against us. When it did that, we were faced with, do we tone it down, right? And if you're a businessman, if it, actually, when our, my board, I have seven board directors, when the government filed a case against the seven board directors, I lost four of seven board directors because they're business people. Good journalism is super bad business right now, right? It is, and we do it precisely because we are patriotic, because we believe there should be rule of law. Um, so I thought about it in a positive way. The difference with Rappler is the largest group of shareholders that controls stocks are the journalists, only by a little. We win every vote. So there was no toning down. We continue doing hard hitting. You gotta tell people when they're being manipulated. We have to tell people when 20,000 people are dead in a drug war. We cannot stay silent at these things. So somehow we went and every day we survived after January, which is when the decision came down to try to revoke our licenses, um, I think I, I, I got a wartime board, that was one, because always the first line of attack, I, I don't know if it's the same in India, but in the Philippines, it was to go to the business, to go to the directors who have other businesses. I don't have any other business. I'm a journalist. You can shut down Rappler. Then great, I'm still going to be a journalist. Um, and that's the, these are the types of people who run Rappler. So for us... Um, Every day we survived was a victory, and we believe 
these, so it goes down to values. We believe these values will outlast the propaganda wars, because propaganda has always been there. And what will happen is that the tech platforms, the American social media platforms that these are all riding on, will slowly have to find equilibrium, or they should be held as accountable as we are held accountable by what we publish. In, in fact, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, because uh, here in India, there is a, uh, a, a well, it's, it's debatable, but it's, uh, there's, a, there's a backlash against WhatsApp because of the spread right. of fake news, right. and there's a huge debate about that as well. So when you said tech companies, I thought I'll just mention that. Ajay, since you've been in the army, you know, you're in a, you're in a unique position because you're from the army, therefore you're, you used to be a nationalist. Now you're a journalist, though you're, so now you're an anti-nationalist. <laughs> and when you ask the tough questions, it's like, how can you, who was in the army, ask, you know, do stories like this? Uh, and I've seen how you respond to some of those stories. Uh, how, how do you deal with those questions? You know, when you write stories that are critical of the military, uh, Nitin talked about how his editor said, wait until after the war before a story like this is, uh, you know, told. Are those questions that journalists need to ask themselves? Do you ask yourselves those questions about national interest when you're telling those stories? I think that, uh you know, the way that the question was phrased and the earlier questions also, do you feel a shadow over your shoulder kind of thing? Uh, my sort of strong belief is that in India, in this country, uh, the liberal interpretation of nationalism wins out over the hardline interpretation every time. I think by and large, this country is at its soul, it's its essence a liberal country. Uh, and when I write a story, I do not think about the guys who are going to criticize me after the stories. I think about benefiting the people who want to know about a particular subject. Uh, so I'm writing for someone and not to be shielded uh, from someone. Uh, I think that, you know, the, 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 the question that you asked directly about having been from the army and so on, uh, I think that there is within the army a huge number of people who really ask the same questions that the journalists ask. But there is like in the, at the national level, there's an upper crust interest group. Similarly, within the military, there are upper crust interest groups that want to preserve the status quo and that resent the answering of questions. So when I get, and, that, and this is interesting because my contemporaries are now at the top echelons of the, of the military. And they, my contemporaries asked me, Ajay, how could you do that story? And there are 20 junior officers who are saying, great story. <laughs> Absolutely correct, on the button. So it's a, it's a bit of a question mark uh, about whether anybody would get swayed just by this adverse opinion. I think that we are motivated by the need to tell the story and tell the correct story. And if you're, if you're responsive to government pressure to these pressure points from, gov uh, from ministers and so on. I mean, you'll end up making such a fool of yourself because how do you follow the flip-flops of the government, the policy, and justify it to yourself as a journalist? Uh, for example, you know, when, when Modi was uh, standing for election, then it was definitely everybody uh, anti-Pakistan, uh, whoever talks about peace or dialogue with Pakistan is anti-national. Unko Pakistan bejdo. Suddenly, for his uh, for his uh, inauguration, the Prime Minister of Pakistan was called. He dropped in for lunch at, at the Prime Minister's place. 
If I was a journalist, I would say, hold on a second, I can't keep up with these flip-flops, you know, how do you want me to justify this? So, you know, uh, for our own sake, for our own sanity and this thing, it's better that we stick to telling the story like it is, like we see it, like we perceive it, and rely on the good sense of the audience and the reading public to, to sort of interpret it correctly. Okay, and uh, Nitin, I think we have time for one more question before we go to the uh, audience for their questions. Nitin, you know, soldiers, soldiers at the border, it's become a running joke on the internet, not just in India, but I think everywhere. I'm sure it's the case in the Philippines. It certainly is the case in the United States where, you know, politicians and leaders are constantly accused of hiding behind soldiers and saying, what about the soldiers at the border? Think of them, you know, even when the context may be something entirely different. Uh, soldier Boldia. Yeah, I mean, you know, how can you say this when there are soldiers sitting at the LOC and fighting for you and stuff? Uh, you know, is, that has broadened into a larger kind of, uh, you know, technique perhaps, where the military, like Ajay said, is treated as a holy cow and therefore questions that are inconvenient are suppressed using the military and the idea that soldiers are suffering and they're fighting for you and these are your priorities. Incorrectly using yeah. the military. Yeah. That, of course, is now the new trend the, uh, worldwide, actually, if you see, because there are forces which have risen which want to use uh, the so-called narrow definition of nationalism for their own uh, political ends, so that, that is there. But I uh, also uh, identify with uh, what uh, Ajay said, that how can you do it uh, despite being a soldier? Now, I face that uh, very often, I faced it when I was uh, regularly reporting. Now, I gave up reporting in 2014. Uh, so, uh, that time also people used to say, and I remember many of those stories from the Northeast when you did, uh, or even later here, they would say, how can you do it? You are a forgy son, you are a son of a military man. And uh, some of them uh, used to be very supportive when you did some stories which were uh, good for them. And then later when you did some stories which were critical, they would say, oh, you're betraying the cause. Now, what is that cause? So, so politicians use the soldiers uh, to hide uh, sort of their uh, infirmities and their shortcomings. And some soldiers think that only they have the right over patriotism. So therefore, uh, one has uh, constantly debated this with many soldiers. And like Ajay says, uh, you know, uh, people I knew as juniors have now risen to the top. Uh, they are the decision makers in the, in the military in India. I always have this uh, constant discussion with them that uh, when you were a junior, you were fiery and, you know, you sort of uh, were anti-establishment. Now it seems that you've been co-opted. So they say, well, we are in a position of uh, responsibility, so we have to go by what the government line is. So therefore, it's not just the uh, politicians, not just the, uh, the bureaucrats, but also the soldiers who uh, do this kind of a flip-flop when they're junior. And I get best of the questions, fiery and very uncomfortable questions when I go to the staff college, for instance, where there are majors and lieutenant colonels yeah. doing the course. If I go to the NDC, I think the questions are couched in uh, politically correct language. So as we grow older, a lot of people in the uh, establishment also start uh, doing this kind of thing. So as journalists, we need not do it. That's my uh, point. Let everybody else do it. But as journalists, we should remain true to what we are supposed to do. Question, uh, discuss, debate and raise uncomfortable queries. So I think that's uh, established that it's not just about patriotism versus journalism and Maria took exception to the definition <laughs> of that, but what patriotism really means and what it uh, embodies. So, okay, I've been told that our time is up, but we've got, I think, uh, 10 or 12 minutes for some audience questions. Yeah, the lady there? Yeah. First of all, I really want to do a check if you all are real people. Uh, because, yeah, 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 yeah I, I really want to do that. So. My little background, I am a documentary filmmaker 
And during my work time, my interaction with the journalists was pretty similar to what I feel you guys today as. You know, so when we did stories, there was compatibility, there was compassion, and there was like, okay, maybe we should talk about it. And logically speaking, some, some stories should not be told. Okay, that's fine. Last few years, I've been through a personal journey. And when I reach out to the same set of people in the community here, just because it is a personal story, the reaction that I get from the community is, don't bother, kuch na yoga. Don't bother, don't talk, don't talk in the media. There's nothing that you'll get out of it. And I am super confused. Okay, I'm not sure who you spoke to in the media, but if you approach any one of us, we would have spoken no, no, no. for sure. So definitely it's not one of you, right? <laughs> but then, so. so I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, so I am saying that when I, in my own capacity, have been fighting for various things, your community supported me in whatever big and small ways, right? What I am fighting personally is huge, and it is not just personal. There are hundreds of soldiers fighting and living with the same turmoil that I am living with, right? Agreed that I did not know that till I got into it. But when I got into it, do I not have the right to speak about it? Should the community not there, come uh, with me? Okay, there's no question that you have a right to speak about it and... Where do I speak? Yeah, no, but uh, I, I can speak broadly uh, uh, about the media in general, that the media is always willing to tell stories and uh, throw, throw a spotlight on important issues. Uh, I can't speak for the people you've spoken to specifically because I, I don't know who no, they fair are. Enough. It's, not about, the, it's not about the people. Please get what I'm trying After to question. After the session, meet me outside. Yeah, yeah, just sure. meet Ajay or no, any sure. one of us outside and we'll... Okay. Sure. Yeah. Can we get a question here? I think it's apt. I'll uh, just introduce myself as well. I'm a serving officer. I'm Colonel Uman Kohli. Uh, I'm also from an armored regiment and uh, presently I'm on a sabbatical and I'm pursuing uh, journalism uh, from Amity and so I wear both the hats. Uh, so, uh, no, not really. Uh, sir, I have a question for you as well as uh, others also in the panel. I believe uh, media and military both work for peace in India. They work for peace in India. If that be the case, if both of media and military are working for peace, larger peace in the country and across the world, then in a scenario of hybrid warfare where perception management is important, where is the convergence between the media and the military? Uh, first of all, I, I'm not uh, entirely in agreement with your uh, sort of characterization that both the military and the media work for peace. The military I can accept, yeah, in a, in a sort of in a deterrent form of way, uh, it's sort of working to impose a peace to prevent war by uh, posing a deterrent. Uh, in internal security situations, the, the, the definition and the role becomes more complex and more difficult. But certainly as a journalist, I absolutely am not working for peace. I am working to tell the story. It will be sometimes a story of conflict, sometimes a story of war, sometimes a story of great love and compassion, sometimes a story of peace. But I'm not working for peace. I'm working so that I inform a large number of educated and uneducated people, decision makers in all senses of the word, including the people who press a voter's button. Uh, that's my job as a journalist. So this hybrid warfare point that you make is an important point, and there is an exploitation of the media through hybrid warfare increasingly. 
But that's a separate issue from your role and your perceived role. Your role remains as a journalist, in my firm opinion, to tell the story exactly as it is. Swasni? I just wanted to put in, you know, when you spoke about hybrid warfare, uh, there is one particular story, and I'm sorry, as a journalist, it is our job to make everyone feel uncomfortable. There is one story that remains uh, not completely spoken about uh, in, in, in how it turned out, and that is the story of a man who was tied to the bonnet of a jeep by a major in the army because he was trying to protect himself as, as uh, they left a voting booth, right? The fact was that the person who had come there was not a combatant. He had come there to cast his vote. The fact was that the person uh, who had come there had not come there with any ill intentions. These are facts that have been borne out over time. And the fact was that he was tied to a jeep and driven through villages for hours after that. The fact is that everyone should have stood up against it. And instead, it became a question of patriotism versus journalism, and I'm sorry, but most of the media outfits did exactly the same thing. They didn't say our duty, if you're talking about national interest, is to a citizen of this country. They said our duty is to the, the perception that is being put out by the establishment at present. I know that there are people on the uh, panel who will disagree with me, but I do think that these questions need to be asked. Because eventually, there are enough people inside the military as well who disagreed with what was done, or those who said this was something that was done tactically. It should not have been celebrated. But celebrated it was. So I think jumping off of that is we hold back impunity. Like in any institution, that's actually what we're supposed to do as journalists. And I will disagree. I'll tell you about Rappler that's slightly different. We actually, I agree, um, in Rappler, we were trying to use technology to build communities of action and to help build institutions bottom up. Because we, we were impatient with government coming top down, right? And it kept changing. Uh, where does the military and journalism work together? Uh, I wrote two books that had classified hundreds of pages of classified documents that were kept until the story could be told. But when the story was told, it was about holding excesses of power to account. Those are some of the things, because that's why we do what we do, right? But the flip side of that, and to get to, to, to the point of where we come together, we all want peace and progress in every one of our nations, peace and progress. Um, power, if unchecked, without checks and balances, it is almost human nature that it will act with impunity. Um, and when you have a gun, it goes one step further even, right? That's what we're seeing in my country. So I'm only jumping off of what Suhasani said, but I guess the, the biggest problem that we see today is that the old lines where there were civilized engagement points. And those old lines have been pushed because of hybrid warfare or because those in power tended to see those who are supposed to check them as enemies and paint us as enemies. Let's move out of India. President Trump calling CNN fake news sets a trend globally. A few months after that, President Duterte called Rappler fake news. It's not true. But those things, so, I, so 
to summarize it, I think, is that what has changed is the ability of power to change the narrative, to paint anyone who demands accountability as a potential enemy of the state. I'll circle back to you if there's time. I'll circle back to you. Just a couple more people. I'll, I'll come back to you, sir. I know, know you have a counter question. Yeah. Uh, I'm Ranjak here and I uh, teach in Delhi University. Uh, I have a question uh, which I think uh, I, I would like uh, Shiv you and uh, if Maria could answer. Shiv you particularly because you work in a newsroom where uh, there are that vintage. Uh, actually, I because you know we, we, we grew up uh, believing, hearing that journalism is just journalism. That journalism is just about truth. That journalism is, is truth, the plain truth, the whole truth, and whoever it is inconvenient to you. So can there be something called as patriotic journalism or nationalistic journalism? Is there a journalism? I mean, sh I mean, we, we've always believed that journalism, the, the only fidelity, the only loyalty that journalism has is towards truth and nothing else. And sometimes it's possible that the truth may not be on the side of your national interest or your country. It's possible. Truth and justice may not be. Where do you choose then? But you know, it's, it's, it's completely possible that sometimes national interest may not be on the side of justice. The British could benefit a lot of people in England because they were sucking India out. And, and, and in, in that case, what would a British journalist do? I mean, go so against the national interest speak for truth. So, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I'll answer it very briefly because I'm sure you'll want to hear more from Maria. But uh, I can say that um, uh, I, uh, I actually agree completely with Maria when she says that uh, Journalism is about, uh, you know, like Ajay said, it's about the truth. It's about informing your viewers and readers. Uh, and in that is the national interest. Peace and progress, if, if, if that is what your uh, intentions are when you tell a story, ultimately, the, big, the bigger picture, uh, then, uh, you know, journalism is nationalism. You can extend that meaning to, uh, uh, you know, mean anything that benefits the country. The telling of truth benefits your country. The questioning of power benefits the country in the long run. Uh, uh, is uh, is is nationalism. So uh, I, I I personally don't see a conflict there. I'm called an anti-national an anti-national fairly often. Uh, there's one section that perceives me as a patriot uh, uh, yeah, 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 by a definition that I don't necessarily agree with. Uh, so uh, for me, there is no real conflict. Maria. A quick answer to that is, you know the saying, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Uh, the journalist will tell you both, right? Without taking, again, it's not saying that we don't take sides, the truth forces us to take a side. But both of those things are absolutely, uh, could be true at that moment in time. So not only do we tell you that, we also provide the context behind it. Um, power, the other thing that you described to me sounds more like what state media should do. And there is a role for state media. There is a role. Governments have used propaganda for many years. But to lie and to try to take away uh, these checks and balances for the public space, it's a scorched earth policy when you dumb down your people. And it will kill democracy in the future. Hello, ma'am. I'm MC, I am MC student and I have a question uh, around the Doklam issue and you're, you're addressing it to Suhasini? Yeah. Okay. So there is a story in the quaint which question and make it clear also that Kulbushin Jada was a spy. A spy. Okay. So 
the story was uh, uh, there is a lot of backlash on that story and that was uh, withdrawn from that portal mm. so i want to ask ki, uh, what 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 in that case editor or whosoever has done a story should take a stand they should put it uh, in the st because the story make it clear that the person was a spy and so and so. It, that's actually a very good example. Just for the benefit of everyone here, I'll just explain what it was. Kulbushan Jadav is an uh, Indian national who was captured by uh, Pakistan from Iran. And uh, Pakistan says he's a spy. India says he's not a spy. Uh, and there was this report on this uh, web news Quint. portal which said he is a spy yeah. while he's in Pakistani captivity. So there was a huge debate over whether so w what was the point of doing this story since it only benefits Pakistan's allegations so my question is should we do that kind of story or should not what what the uh, instance should be take? i'll put it like this i wouldn't take into account perhaps 80 percent of the concerns you are talking about but i would take into account very specific things firstly do you have really 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 good evidence mm -hmm. of what you're saying um and that evidence requires not just you know two sources and and all of that but material evidence uh, there are questions to be asked in that story, there's no doubt about it, and I think those questions can be asked without necessarily saying something which perhaps you cannot know the exact truth of, and as you said, the concerns about a man who's still alive, who's, who's, you know, whose uh, life is in danger, uh, who does face a death sentence. Uh, but my, uh, uh, my own judgment would be on the basis of how credible the story was, what kind of proof you have, and that's not just sourcing as, uh, on the basis of what someone has told you. It would have to be a lot more material than that. If a story is completely true, then it is your editorial judgment about when to run it, as, as Nitin was saying, uh, and whether to run it after he is freed or uh, to run it at a different time when things are not so heated. That, that is an editorial judgment. Um, but I would say that the first thing to me about many of the stories um, where you know we've been questioned with this is, uh, is if you have material evidence, and that's not just two sources, as I always say, one of which is not Google. Uh, last question, yeah, the, the man there, yeah. Uh, hi, this is Akshat. I actually write for that portal who withdrew the story. So, uh, <laughs> uh, however, the question is related to the very same uh, incident. So, what happens in a state that we are very sure that the story has definitive sources, do you think at, at the time of a trial when that man's life is in peril and the society at large out of the national boundaries is concerned in the pursuit of truth. So should a journalist recognizing the fact that hiding a certain fact of, of that person being spy which is not covered in the national narrative would still like to go for that story or do you think an ethical judgment being made of course in national interest is justifiable? So Hasni and then um, Nitin. I think uh, the, the, the judgment, the ethics call and all of that uh, would not deter, uh, uh, you know, an editor normally. Um, there may be a humanitarian call over there to be made, which everyone has to make themselves. Uh, that's not something I'd get into. If, uh, if you are asking me, should a journalist publish a story that could uh, go against the national narrative and could in fact put his own government in a poor light, uh, I would say absolutely. Absolutely, because it is necessary for every narrative to to be sh uh, to have a light shone on it, 
and for the truth to come out regardless of what it is. But as I said, you have to be very sure of the truth. And if there is a humanitarian angle to it, then certainly those calls are made every day. Yeah, I think uh, also a fundamental question of um, the rigors of gatekeeping. I think uh, with the digitization of media uh, and uh, the pressures of competition is also now creating uh, uh, you know, pressures on the newsrooms and the editors in the newsrooms to uh, not adhere to what would have been otherwise a very uh, rigorous call uh, in fact-checking, in uh, getting some more evidence, uh, not just sources, uh, on one hand, uh, on, uh, on the other, that kind of thing. So therefore, uh, this is a challenge uh, that journalists increasingly must face up to in today's uh, hyper-connected world, where you don't come under pressure of uh, competition and uh, to put it out there first, and you want to be you know, correct in that uh, sense. I just want to Can add I, to that, you know, the, the real question that we should ask, and I'm thinking of Indian examples, but I do remember that journalist who went to the home of Ajmal Kasab and found out that he was in fact a Pakistani national, that he had been trained in Pakistan. It was a Pakistani journalist who brought that out. At that time, did anybody question, you know, did anybody ask the basic question, you know, Kasab was in custody in India. The fact is they did publish it. The fact is they changed the entire narrative of our understanding of the 26-11 uh, Mumbai attacks and, and certainly educated the world in a way it hadn't been educated before. Are you saying that call should not have been taken? Uh, just to answer your question directly, and uh, this might stem from the fact that I've been a soldier for a long time, but I think that uh, besides all the aspects that Suhasini mentioned, and I agree with all those aspects, there is also the aspect in this particular story of uh, the potential execution by hanging of a citizen who has been mandated by the state to go and put his life in danger. Uh, at a time like this, I would think very carefully about putting out the story. And my personal editorial call would be, hold the story. Suhasini, Maria, Nitin, and Ajay, you've given everyone here, especially, I'm, I, I was told there were lots of journalism students here as well, uh, a lot to think about in a, in, you know, a flashpoint that I think is going to be around for a long time to come in the, in the performance of journalism in this country. So thank you very much. I learned a lot as well. Thank you very much. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.